Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is a freaky, free-for-all, good Friday, April 7th. We are here live. Anything goes. We're going to open the phone lines right now. Looks like calls are already starting to come in. Jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. Henry's in the house. Joel is here with us. John can't make it today. He is racing in the rain in Virginia. But we're here. Jump in and join us. We're going to hear from Henry and Joel. Well, you know what? I'm just going to bring everybody in so we can start talking over each other. That's what we do here on Fridays. Good morning, guys. Good morning, morning, Kevin. All right, so I've got a topic. We're just going to jump right in. I'm going to start bitching and complaining about stuff because it's Friday, and that's what I feel like doing today. So I don't even know where I want to start with this topic. I'm going to talk about driver pay and and rates and, and what's going on in the trucking industry right now. The three of us have talked many times about this idea of could we get the industry to switch to a better pay system hourly Part of the problem with this topic right now, I can't think of a worse time to to try to address this issue. Driver pay? Are you kidding me? Fleets are pissed off already that they gave their drivers a bunch of raises and now they're going to go out of business because of it. I said this when they were giving the raises. And it's not that I don't want to see drivers make more money. I do. But you can't make more money if the companies go out of business trying to pay those rates. And we're seeing it. We have to figure out a better system. So that that's, like so, I said, I don't even know. I have so many directions I want to go in in this, but go ahead, Joel. Address that part so far. Yeah, so one of the things, sure, my brother was up against this really hard, and, and, and he he recognized the fact that if he gave big raises, why times were good, as soon as the market changed, that you know the company would be in trouble. So like we always do, and he's always done in his fleet, in order to give those big raises, simply meant he had to focus harder on efficiency, and that's exactly really? what he done. Really? So he was, he was able, yeah, exactly. Nobody thinks about that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you just go out and get better rates. Yeah, you don't worry about right. your efficiency. Exactly. So, and I'm, you know. So that's, that is the key to pay and stability for, for these bigger fleets. So you just gave me a direction because one of mm-hmm. the things that got brought up, this I got into a discussion on social media about this, and it was because somebody was complaining about all this cheap labor that we keep bringing into the trucking industry, and that's the problem. Well, First off, I don't know what cheap labor they're really talking about. I don't understand what that even means. The drivers get paid a certain amount at the market, drives that. I don't know what they mean by all this cheap labor. But then they threw out that, how many times have you heard this? It's because the damn truck driving schools get paid for every student they graduate by the government. I've heard this for about 30 years. And every time somebody says it, I said, you know, I'm not I'm not arguing that it doesn't exist because I don't know that it doesn't. I can't prove that it doesn't exist. Can you prove to me that it does? Can somebody show me this program that pays truck driving schools just to graduate people? Now, are there federal money monies being used? Of course, there are. I use the VA bill, my, my GI bill to go to truck driving school person I was arguing with even complained about that. 
that shouldn't even be happening. That's a government benefit. No, it's not. It's not a benefit at all. I earned that. I negotiated it before I signed up, and then I used it when I got out. I I don't have a problem with that at all. But I kept saying, can you prove to me this, this elusive tax credit? Well, well, no, but I know this. Yeah, I know. Everybody knows somebody, but somebody show me this damn program. I still have never seen that that that's happening. But here is what is happening. And nobody seems to be too concerned about this driver tax credit bill back in the house. There is a tax credit being proposed that would pay. Listen to I'm just going to read this paragraph because this is one of the problems I have with tax credits in the government. They complicate the hell out of everything. So I'm just going to read this. Quote, the lawmakers expect to the bill to create a new refundable tax credit of up to 7,500 for truck drivers holding a valid Class A CDL who drive at least 1,900 hours in the year. This tax credit would last for two years, 2023 and 2024. A new refundable tax credit of up to $10,000 is available for truck drivers or individuals enrolled in a registered trucking apprenticeship. This tax credit would also last for two years. This bill also allows a new truck driver to be eligible for the credit if they did not drive a commercial vehicle in the previous year or drive for at least 1,420 hours in the current year. This may receive a proportion of the credit if they drive less than 1,420 hours in the year, but drove at least an average of 40 hours a week upon starting to drive. Everybody got that? So what you're saying here is the attorneys are going to make all the money to decipher the code that you just read. Of course. And if we're, and, and if we're not okay with the government paying a truck driving school to train somebody, why are we okay with the government giving these drivers more money? I, I'm not. I don't what, disagree. Why do we need a tax credit for truck drivers? I don't get that. Why are we saying, here's why. The industry needs new drivers. Okay, then pay them better. And here's why I hate tax credits. Exactly. Your brother is doing the hard work. He's taking the risks of not giving his drivers the big wages. He probably lost some drivers over this. I'm sure of it. He's doing the hard work and taking the risk. And these types of credits nullify all of his work. That's his been his bitch right along that he has done what he is supposed to do. And, you know, the, the people that are just kind of looking and not doing what they're supposed to do always seem to get all the help and all the benefits from from the tax credits. You know, why why he's taking all the risk and spending all the money. And you're exactly right. Doing the hard work. You know, there's a learning curve to all this stuff, you know, way back in the day when, when we embraced the emission engines very, very early on before anybody else did, you know, everybody was laughing at us. You're, you're crazy. We just delete, be done with it, you know? And, know, and we thought, no, it's not the right way to do things. And, and we were really taking it on the chin for a while, but, uh, I, I don't know. You, you just always hope that doing the right thing pans out in the end. I've been, Kevin, you go ahead. Henry. If you really want been on that on the supply side and from you talking about that i i don't know if joel went to truck driving school but maybe that's where my problem is i hear that about not being a real driver i never went to truck driving (laughs) you know here here's the funny thing 
if anybody could have skipped truck driving school, it was probably me. Grew up in a truck driving family. I was a two-week school. It cost like 3100 bucks, And I thought, why not go and practice backing up for two weeks, which is about all I did, really. And it paid off. So I'm glad I went. I could have easily, because back then you didn't, there was no driving test. You went and got a chauffeur's license in right. Ohio, which was a really easy written right. test. And you went to work. I could have gone to work like that. I thought, no, why don't I do a little extra training? Well, and nothing wrong when you're saying about the cheap labor and the supply side of things, living here in Lorraine and the amount of cares that are growing here. I mean, this is a trucking city like you've never seen. This is trucking is all this year. But the amount of B1B drivers, it's, it's absolutely amazing to see how some of these carriers are growing with B1B drivers here. So, again, I, I said I have sort so of, many issues here I want to cover. I'm going to be all over the board, but I, I don't want to miss this one. I got in two discussions about this yesterday, about money and pay and all that. Somebody else posted pay stub for a driver who was in training, and they made like $178 that week. And the the post said, this is criminal and it has to stop immediately. And I thought, wait a minute. I, so I went and looked. If you want to go to truck driving school around the country, I did the averages. On average, every truck driving school in the country is charging about $30 an hour for their training. And, and that's legitimate. That That's a business. You're training people for a job. It's about $30 an hour. Well, this driver got paid $178 to be trained. That's not a bad deal. Why would we complain about that? I don't see that as a problem at all. The other thing about it is nobody forced anybody to go there. Exactly. Here's the problem I have with training. Why aren't we complaining about this? I could care less that he only made 178 bucks. I think it was a hell of a deal for him. But why aren't we complaining that the trainer hasn't even finished an entire year of driving yet? <laughs> there you go. Well, Kevin, along that line of what you're talking about, I found it funny when I was at the NASA convention a few years ago, and the smaller carriers were complaining that the turnover rate had dropped because they were having a hard time pilfering drivers from the so-called training company. Yeah. That they were using that as their source of drivers. I found that ironic a few of course, instead of complaining about it, why don't you just start your own training program then? That's right. Start a truck driving school. Why don't we? Why don't more trucking companies run full blown truck driving schools? They're the ones that should be doing it. And so, my brother's fleet. He partners actually with driving schools. There you he doesn't go. operate his own per se. And then once the new the trainee comes out of school, then they have a finishing program that they run everybody through and it works very, very well. Of and, yeah. you know, it's awfully should, should with, do something like that. With, it's, with not, no it's not difficult to set up. There's not a lot of things to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and yeah. by the way, they make more than $178 a week. So <laughs> during their uh, driving. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah, there you go. Exactly. So, one more thing here, because while I'm discussing all of this with these two, and the other problem is they kept confusing owner operators and drivers. They would just, there was, 
Frank Fuller from FreightWaves posted an article about a really some really low rates that are showing up on the board. And they are. I've seen freight forty five thousand pound loads at a dollar seven. I saw it. It's out there. Deal with it. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. But that's right. They were mixing up drivers and and owner operators. It, it's all this cheap labor. Well, wait a minute. That has nothing to do with this post because this is about rates. If owner operators aren't making it, I'll tell you why. And it's not the rate, even though everybody thinks that's the problem. It's because it's all they ever talk about and it's all they ever focus on. At the same time, I'm reading this fight about this new broker transparency bill. Owner operators believe if I just know what the broker's making, I'll be fine. That's my problem. That's why I can't stay in business because I don't know somebody else's numbers. Wait a minute. You're bitching about you don't know your own. You don't know your own damn numbers. Jeez. <laughs> it's easier to blame somebody else for your problem. It just is. It, but my, you know, this is what will put you out of business. That's what I'm trying to get across to people. That's exactly. That's exactly. It doesn't fix anything. That puts you out of business. Yes. Yes. Look in the mirror first. Make sure your house is in order. And nine times out of ten, once your house is in order, you could care less what Joe Schmo down the road is doing. That's I could exactly care less right. how much a broker makes on the road. I know what I need to make to be profitable, and I have targets that I shoot for. Most of the times I make them. Sometimes I don't, but I'm close, and and we make it work. But to to sit and blame brokers, it's the most asinine thing that ever was. Oh, they made $10,000 on a $20,000 load. You don't have to take it. (laughs) Don't take the damn load. Find something else. There's gazillion loads out there. Nobody is forcing you to take that damn load. And brokers just don't use them. There you go. That's an yeah. option, too. That's an option, too. If this freight is so easy to get at good rates, go get your own. It's been close to 20 years since I've used a broker. Oh, you're just lying, Henry. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 listen, I, I've got direct freight, but I use brokers all the time for my backhauls, and, and I can tell you, there are right there are the piss poor rates like you're talking about. They're out there. You just don't take them. Of course, they're. You know, you just to say no. This this doesn't fit my target, so I'm not taking it. I'm not going to boycott them or get online and say what an idiot this guy is. And I don't care if he's keeping half the revenue of the load. It doesn't work for me. I just don't take the load. It's that simple. Let's use another analogy here, if I can work this through in my head, because it just popped in. So bear with me here. Another issue in the, you know, been in the, the media. We're talking about it all the time. I have a feeling I know how most truck drivers would come down on this issue. I'm talking about gun control. Believe it or not, I'll bring this back to the brokers. And no, I'm not saying we should use guns to fix the brokers. That's not what this is. <laughs> so we have lots of laws about guns. It's illegal to murder somebody. It's illegal to shoot somebody. It's actually illegal to point a gun at somebody. We have a lot of laws about guns and hurting people with them, right? Why do we think one more law about guns is going to fix anything? That the laws already exist. Hey, it's- so... Let's isn't there already a regulation that states you have the right to see the rate from a broker and a carrier if you're on a percentage contract that exists. You already have the right to see it. Yeah. 
But then the complaint is, yeah, but if I ask for it, they're going to punish me. <laughs> well, you must have a horrible relationship with these people. You know, so many times when working with a broker, you call them and you're like, hey, can you do better on this load? And they're like, no, there's just not the money. And you're like, well, okay, I'll check with you next time. And they're like, okay, fine. You know, no, no feelings are hurt. Nobody cares. It's not that big a deal. And in fact, one time we had called on a load looking to go to somewhere and it was quite a deadhead to get over there, but I needed to get back. And the broker was like, are you sure with that deadhead? You know, we were talking about where we're coming from. And I'm like, yeah, I just need to get home. You know, they, they get this. They're not, they're not the crooks. Everybody's making them out to be. And it's so unfair what the drivers do with this stuff about every broker's a crook. It's just, it's such complete nonsense. And it's probably the one thing in our industry that really gives us a black eye when, when they just don't even understand how business works and how to interact with a customer. It's, it's just, it's horrible. It is, it is. And, and, and that's in, we can make this industry better if we could address those things and we can control those things. As much as I'd like to say we can control the tax credits being get, we can't. I, I don't care that you get to vote for somebody anymore. The government's being run by a bunch of people nobody voted for. Our government is no longer run it. by the people we vote for. It's run by a bunch of alphabet soup government agencies with bureaucrats that have been appointed and they've been there for decades. Yeah, take take care of your own house first before that's you it. start bitching that, about somebody else. Look in the is, mirror. Look in the mirror. That's the message yeah. right there. You can bitch about this stuff all the time. We do. We're doing it right now. I bitch about things all the time. But then yeah. I walk out of here and I do what I have to do to take care of business. And that's that's working on all the things I can control. I don't think that I've ever in my life called a broker and thought I'm dialing some goddamn crook that's trying to rip me off. Uh, imagine if that's how I, you I've never, I've, I, I, well, a lot of guys do, I think. Every day. You're right. I think I, you're pissed off at the world, ready to quit. I understand right. why all these guys are like, I'm getting out of the business. You're mad all the time. Right. Instead of seeing that as a, as a business partner and a potential asset to your operation, you're going into that adversarially and, and, and you want to pick a fight with a guy. <laughs> if the rate doesn't work, call a different broker. And then immediately turn around oh. and post it all on the Internet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> definitely. If you didn't pay, post it on the internet, it didn't happen. Exactly. So let's <laughs> and, and let's let's call them out by name too. Let's call them out by name when we yeah. post, we, which is fine. Let's I'm, talk I'm, to I'm, little people and I, for sharing information. If there's truly a crook out there, well, yeah, absolutely. Let's spread it around. But just to randomly grab names, TQL, CH Robinson, they're all crooks. <laughs> Well, that's the most right. ridiculous thing that ever was. Those companies can be your best friend at times. Every one of them. You know, you might, oh, they got terrible rates. Well, maybe they do in a certain part of the country where they're not real strong at the rate is what it is. So you yeah. just, you find a different broker that's strong in that area and then you work with them. Everybody understands this in the business. I mean, the brokers understand, you know, well, I don't have the best rate here, but I'm better over here. And, and you, uh, I don't, that's what the load boards are for. There's no sense getting pissed off at every single broker you call. And the big thing is, what I find is, guys get it in their mind, I'm only going to run from point A to point B. And then when the rates collapse on that lane, they're not willing to go anywhere else. 
you know, they're only going to drive. I don't, I don't go to the East coast. I don't go to the West coast. I don't go here. I don't go there. And the second you get that in your mind, you're done. If you're not flexible and open-minded, you are done. And it's not the broker's fault. That's your own fault. Hold on, on, on that thought. Cause I'm guilty of cutting a groove into the country. Mm-hmm. But I always <laughs> a beat you know, set of customers, set of customers, so that that very thing doesn't happen too quickly. And I have alternate routes that you take every so often just to keep them alive. But you know, Henry, it's being funny. one truck, I, I, being one truck, I could not develop relationships directly with customers all over the country because right. right. Who wants to develop a relationship with somebody they're only going to see every six months? Exactly. So right. I've been so, cutting a groove in the country. So, Henry, it's funny that you jumped in with that because I, I was about to comment on that. I was about to say, you know, somebody's going to call us and say they're doing all the things we recommend against right now. And they're they're doing fantastic. Awesome. There are a thousand ways yes. to skin a cat. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. If you're doing yes. something I said is stupid and it's working, well, keep doing it. Obviously, you figured out a way to make it not stupid. But those aren't the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who just want to blame everybody else that they can't succeed. No. Look in the mirror. If I tried to do what Henry was doing right now, he's in a, a very unique situation. I'd crash and burn. I'd be done in two months. You know, over the year, he has right. developed, a, he, he has developed an excellent relationship and, you know, he's really got a handle on what he's doing and it's very refined and it's, it's worked well for him over the years. You know, I couldn't just into that Correct. situation, right? you know, I could probably develop it over time. If that's what I wanted to do, I could probably do that. You know, I've got different opportunities in different situations. So you're exactly right. No one business model works for everybody. In fact, everyone is different. Yes. And you got to keep an open mind. And if you don't have an open mind and all you want to do is blame, bitch, and complain, be a company driver. Yes. You know, yeah. most part. Just like the restaurant industry, there's room for Red Lobster, a five-star restaurant, and McDonald's, and they all make money. Sure. Sure. That's business, right? There's a whole spectrum. There's lots of ways to do things, but the idea that your problems are everybody else's fault is is stinking thinking. And, And the problem with it is, let's say it really is somebody else's fault. So what? You probably can't change that. So ignore it. Go focus on what you You can change. Yes. And and a lot of this is also perspective. And you just take the example of, you know, I have been in the fleet operations side of things for a long, long time. And I've seen it at a very high level, participated in a high level. So when you get guys that are out shopping for a truck, just as an example of how you're going to get wildly different opinions and there's no right or wrong answer here. So if a guy's out to buy a used truck, they may go to a shop and ask that shop their opinion. And then they may come to me and ask me my opinion. They're going to get possibly completely perspectives on what's going on there. So, you know, especially early on with the admission stuff, you know, once we got a handle on it early on, I was promoting the hell out of it. 
the stuff worked. Right. Why the shops hadn't quite caught up yet, and they were still seeing you know, some of the dark side of things. And they were like, no, run away from that stuff, run away from that stuff. So you, you really got to do your homework. You've got to understand that there are a thousand different ways to do things. Keep open-minded and don't fall into that trap of blame everybody else for your problems. Hey, Joel, along, along those lines, what you were just talking about there, I can't believe I'm still seeing what I'm about to talk about. We were, we were talking about deleting stuff back in 07, 08, 08 was the year I think we sure. finally started figuring it out. And I remember saying, look, guys, this is illegal. We know it's illegal. I have owner operators who are about to lose their business over these repairs, and we've got to do something. And we haven't figured it out yet. And, sure. and there was a year or two there sure. we were talking about deletes. And then we came out and said, hey, look, sure. we got it figured out. This stuff, you can work with this. If you do this and this and this and this, these emissions are okay. They're getting better every year. That was 15, 16, 17 years ago, right? That, yeah. Sure. Right? Yeah. That, I'm, so here's what I just funny read thing was, yesterday. Another shop just got charged $600,000 for doing deletes. I can't imagine going out and spending $200,000 on a truck today and then paying some hack shop $12,000 to delete it. And making the truck at that point. But, you know, you know, it's funny when you say about talking to the mechanics about the emissions. One of the best quotes that I heard from somebody else, going to talk to a mechanic about how the emissions engines work is like going to talk to a divorce attorney and asking them if marriage counseling works. Good point. Yeah, no, that's exactly, that is exactly right. So you've got to... There's nothing wrong with getting as much input as you possibly can, but you kind of got to temper it from that person's perspective. If they're constantly at a shop that's getting a bunch of trucks that have emissions problems, well, then they're going to think all trucks have these problems. And kind of my thought is, okay, my brother's got a hundred trucks with emissions. Two of them go down. We send those two to the shop. If somebody walks into that shop, they're going to say, look, we've got these two emissions trucks. They're piles of junk. When 98 of them are out there running with no problems, you know what I mean? So right. definitely, um, you definitely have to, to, to understand the perspective of the person that you're talking to when you're, when you're out trying to get information on this stuff. And if you ever get the chance to talk to a fleet manager or somebody in that type of position, that can be gold for for an owner operator or even a small fleet coming up to get the other side of the so story, so to speak. Very good point. Yeah, I wrote, I've never, I wrote an entire chapter never, on this topic in my book. I took an entire chapter on who you should and shouldn't ask for business advice when you're trying to get started. And it's a long chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. know I never... I trucked to the shop and complained to the mechanic that it was running too good and he should check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I roll mine in all the time. This thing's running too good. Right. Have a look. Right. Here's another one. Roll into the shop and tell them you want to get better fuel economy and watch what happens. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to roll in and say mine's too good. What do I need to do? To bring it? 
just to see the expression on your face, you know. Yeah. But no, you're exactly right. They're so busy solving issues from, and typically what we see today with emission systems is it's either people that are just idling like crazy or the truck's geared completely wrong. Yep. And those are the two big drivers of emission system problems. And it mm-hmm. keeps them techs so busy figuring that out. They don't really have time to think about anything else. And they don't typically see the truck that's geared right. And the guy that doesn't idle, it's not through that shop. So they have no clue how effective down speeding can be in these anti-idle devices. So their, you know, their perception's a little bit skewed at times, not that you would totally dismiss what they have to say or what they think, but you always just have to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Which is funny. One of the ones I've been talking lately is people using optimized idle incorrectly and wondering why the engine's running all the time. That happens. Uh, you know, learning how to use the technology sometimes is a challenge, and you're exactly right, Henry. These guys sometimes don't receive the training that they should or they, you know, they forget and they're not using something right and it causes some problems that, that does happen. There's no doubt about it. You know, as the machine becomes more complex, it requires a little bit more driver thought to operate the stuff correctly. And, and, uh, but once they do get a handle on it, things get really, really good with today's emission engines. And in fact, you know, we're right on the verge of today's emissions engines actually running cheaper than the last round of non-emission engines. We're, we're right near that point right now. You want to hear how the, uh, the government's going to screw that up? I'm sure they will. They, well, they're, they're already trying to do it with cars right now, and I imagine they'll come for trucks again next. And this is new. The Biden administration just announced this. So we know how they're pushing electric vehicles with all the tax credits and and. That should stop. We've talked about that. Now they're going to double down. Now they're going to start punishing internal combustion engines again. A brand new round of emissions for cars. Well, and trucks are coming up. Anyway, trucks will Yep. This is another new one on cars. So I expect they may follow that up with another new one about trucks we're not even looking at yet. The, this this new round of emissions on cars is really, really strict. And they, they are saying we are doing it to push people to EVs. I mean, they're they're saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah. That, that's bullshit. Yep. 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 I think it, I'm going to go and run steam. What's that? I want to go alternate fuel and get an old Stanley steamer. There you go. Yeah. And a big coal shovel. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they ran on kerosene, but that's external combustion engine. So that's outside the loop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, we've, uh, we've had a, we've had a caller that's been on the line longer than all three of us. He was there when I set up the okay. show today. I didn't even know that was possible. I was really late setting up the show. I'm, here writing notes and reading stuff and ranting in my head. And I look down and Angie's like, Hey, what's going on? There's like three minutes left and I hadn't even started the show yet. But when I did start it, somebody was already sitting there waiting for me. So Brian, thanks for being patient. What's on your mind today? Good morning, gentlemen. Who am I? Who am I? No. Oh, come on. 
Anybody? Can you hear me? I can hear it. I can hear it in my head, and I can't figure out who it is, though. But I can hear it in my head. Who is it? You don't know, Kevin? Come on. That's Matt. I thought for a second it was Matt, but I just wasn't clicking. I do the same thing everybody else does with uh, Paul. You know, with the howdy. He's trying to he's trying to trip everybody up now. He's trying to change that, but it's so ingrained he almost can't do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You guys need to calm down. Yeah, I was wondering, Kevin. I tried to call at like at like ten fifty five and I'm like it's like the show oh, call back when we're having the show. I'm like geez, you guys need to get after it. Yeah, I was I was almost late this morning. You know, here's, yeah. the, here's well, you the ironic know. thing for me about this whole radio gig that I've been doing. I hate schedules. I don't have a schedule. I have zero consistency in the way I work. I don't have any real routines. I, that's the way I like it. I love it like that. I just as soon work on an idea at 2 o'clock in the morning as 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so it doesn't matter to me. I've been that way my whole life. And yet here I am doing something that requires me to be on time down to the second. Makes me a little crazy, actually. So at least I'm rebelling a little with that. I end my show whenever I damn well feel like it. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just realized something. Do you know that there is somewhat, there's a group out there that hates brokers more than truck drivers? Who? <laughs> no. They, <laughs> farmers. <laughs> I, I've experienced it myself with a farmer cutting TQL out, you know, any chance they get. And I, the guy I'm hauling for now just told me the story. Go ahead. No, I. Just This is a good point. I have no problem with that. That is the shipper deciding they don't need a middleman. They can go find a truck on their own. Well, fantastic. No problem with that. The owner-operator could do the same yeah. thing. Instead of bitching about it, just yeah. stop using brokers then. that That's what this, these farmers are saying. Hell, yeah. we don't need a broker. We'll find a truck on our own. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, just start pulling brokered loads that are coming out of farms, and you'll have direct freight in no time. <laughs> because the guy I'm hauling for now told me his story, how he got hooked up with, with this farm, and he's, he said uh, he loaded on like a Saturday, and the, the owner loaded him, and he's like, hey, uh, you've been coming here a lot, huh? Yeah. Oh, are you getting this through XYZ broker? Yep. You mind me asking you what they're paying you? He told him. Farmer throws his pen down on the table. Those Stephen cocksuckers, man! You know how much I'm paying them? That's perfect. Perfect. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm not all right with that. You signed an agreement when you agreed to use the broker? No, I absolutely. You can't go back on a deal you've already signed, but you can say, I don't want to do that going forward. I don't want to give that that third party part of this. I'll go find my own truck. There's a lesson here, by the way. I, I can't count how many times 
somebody has said, screw the brokers, I'm going to go get my own freight. And they start somewhere that has 187 dock doors and ships 300 loads a week. Don't go to those places. Those places love brokers. This farmer, this little farmer who doesn't want to give up any of that money, doesn't want the small trucking company to give it up, they can work around brokers. These big shippers are not going to get rid of their brokers. Just figure that out. So I've got an interesting story real quick here for you on the whole broker thing. So, you know, my brother, he's got roughly 100 trucks, and, you know, he can can do some things when he's, he's dealing direct freight, but there are actually times when he comes up against the customer that he's not sure about and he works with a broker, gives the broker the customer so they have the risk, you know, if they're not sure if this, this customer is going to pan out yep. and they have a relationship with that broker and they work back and forth and, and they make it work. So yeah, it's not always adversarial and, and they can, they can be, your best friend at times and and people just got to understand that well there is not there is a lesson there here's a very successful hundred truck fleet with plenty of its own freight still finding a way to use a broker to their advantage well and, and kevin with what i was having the problem with that is like you say do the hard work going to a place and going around the broker after you're there and you found the place through the broker, not doing the hard work. Correct. Right. Doing the old figure, what I heard of gold breaking. Uh, Back selling. Yeah. There's, there's lots of terms, but it's, it's bad practice. It's not illegal there, but it's bad business. It's just not a good idea to run your business that way. No, it comes around to bite you. Yep. Brian, what else you got? So, so um, like we talked about before, I, I have a great relationship with a real small-time broker. He, you know, drives a Peterbilt every day himself. And uh, I've uh, been hauling for him for like seven years. And last year was my best year ever. And, and all of a sudden that's just dried up and it, and it's not even that somebody else is hauling it cheaper or whatever. There just isn't. And great. And, uh, and, and I was really spoiled with that and I knew it, but now I really know it. And, uh, I mean, it's all scheduled freight. It's drop trailer loading. So, you know, I was averaging like 300 miles a day. I ran like 83,000 miles last year. And that's working every day, but I'm only going, you know, up the road 200 miles, 300 miles all day to get there, doing the 60-mile-an-hour program and all that. So so that dried up, and I made a pivot um, that's really kicking my ass. I'm, I'm running with the fourth generation outlaws now pulling dump trailers. <laughs> so I've gone from that program to like 750 miles a day at 96,000 yeah. five axles, no permits, just run it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good money, but uh, it, it's definitely kicking my ass. But I, I say all that to say, you know, that kind of miles, um, it makes me think more about the whole Volvo program, and you know, I have a I have a 
slider with a 12.7 right now. And um, I know it's not the biggest hill in the world, but yesterday on the Ohio Turnpike, I pulled there at the 108 eastbound at 96,000 pounds at 76 miles an hour. I don't know. I don't know if the D13 will do that, but it'll probably keep the head gasket in better than this one does. Um, and I'm not running nearly as much boost as Jackie. I, I don't know. Anyway, so I guess, Joel, my question is, specking for those two totally different operations, does the same spec still work hauling 96,000 from Michigan to Jersey on 8322? You know, the toll-free route? Well, sure. So that's a route that we run all the time, and, and our backhaul a lot of time is, is water. So we're right at 80,000. We're, we're not at 96. But when you have the ISORC spec, Technically, you're limited to 80,000 pounds because of axle capacity. Now, you can go to like a 226 ratio, and then you're good to 135,000. And, and yeah, it gives you that flexibility um, to operate with heavier weight in the hills. Now, here's the big difference. So, when you have a customized truck where you're cranking out a whole lot of horsepower, ultimately, horsepower dictates how fast you go up a hill. And if you have 700 horsepower versus 455 horsepower, you are going to go up that hill faster. There's no amount of gearing that is going to get around that. What the gearing allows us to do is to optimize the 455 horsepower and use some torque multiplication at higher speeds to run that hill um, in the most efficient and productive way. And am I going to go up the hill at 76 mile an hour? No, I'll probably go up it at 66, you know, but at the end of the day, you're on flat ground way more often than you're on any sort of a grade, even running the route that you just talked about running across 322 and whatnot. You're still, you know, you're only on grade probably six and a half or 7% of the time. So at the the end of the day, it is. That's what you remember. That's exactly right. That's where you're paying attention, and that's what you remember. You don't remember, you know, the flat part unless you're knocking down 11 or 12 miles a gallon. Then you start to remember that stuff. But Or the downhill, right? Sure, right, yeah. I-torque spec works just fine for stuff like that. In fact, that is exactly what it's for, being able to run in underdrive with some torque multiplication at highway speeds. The performance is better than what you would expect out of a 455, but it is never, ever, ever going to pull as good as a 700 going up a hill. It's just not going to do it. Right. Um, I think I just drew. Oh, so as far as the axle capacity, the way this runs, the the tractor Mm -hmm. axles are are all right there at legal. The the trailer carries Mm -hmm. all the extra. So, so technically, you'd be good there with just the right. What's the lowest? What's yeah, the lowest ratio now? Two two point one five. I wouldn't be afraid to run it, but would you ever get the blessing from from Volvo to say, "Yep, go ahead and do that"? You're never going to get their blessing to do it. Is it going to work? Yeah, it's going to work. So, Rob, me the fuse becomes a this. The weak link ends up being the drive shaft. Sure. 
Okay. If it were me, being me, I'd probably just tell Volvo 80,000. <laughs> probably save, save right. some headaches. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thanks for the call. Awesome. Hey, since we're talking about, you know, rates and where we're going with this economy, and I'm trying to, you know, keep people informed about this. I, I follow freight waves a lot. They've got so much data, uh, really good stuff. The, the one thing I've been watching that is kind of hard to describe to people why we would watch something like this, tender rejections. Uh, most most drivers and owner-operators in the industry, it's not a term they deal with, It's but it is a really, really good indicator when things start to go bad. And here's what they're reporting now. They've been reporting about these tender rejections a lot lately, and I've been posting about it. Here's here's what they just just put out. The lower this chart, they're talking about the chart that shows tender rejections. The lower this chart, the worse options truckload carriers have to move their trucks. The fact that this chart is still declining somehow, nobody knows how this thing's still going down, means the U.S. truckload market has not bottomed. Rates will likely still go lower and demand loads will be harder to secure. People better buckle up, hunker down, and get ready. This is starting to look ugly. This, as much as you hate to say this, this could be, if if you've got your shit together and your efficiency is good and, and, and your numbers, you know, you're taking care of business, this could be a blessing for you because it's going to wash a lot of people out in relatively short order. And that's, it starts the recovery, obviously, you know, and always hate the, I don't know, it, it's kind of tough that you're going to benefit on somebody else's demise, but I mean, that, it is what it is. That's business. Well, you it's know just what? We, the way it goes. We have to look at that, really. I, I want to comment on that. That's not a bad thing. We have to understand that. That's how the world works. Somebody gets eaten and somebody does the eating. That, that's how the world works. Whether we like it or not, just get used to it. It is a good thing. Let me explain what I mean by that. I am so fed up with horrible customer service everywhere I go. I'm fed up with customer service. And it sucks because our economy was too good. Our economy was so good, you didn't have to have good customer service to stay in business. And look around, how many of us complain about the service we get, the poor quality of everything? That's what happens in a really good economy. When things get tough, watch how, how much better customer service is going to get. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I agree with you. I agree with you. And just when I was at Mid-America, you know, the hotel industry's gotten whacked around pretty hard. And I could not believe how good a customer service I got at the hotel I was at That's in right. Louisville. That's right. I mean, yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, just literally unbelievable. But you know, that's business. If where, where there's a Home Depot, there's usually a Lowe's across the street, right? Is the other thing you notice as you drive around the country, if somebody's selling sheds, there's usually somebody right down the street selling sheds. Every if there's too much money in it, it'll bring more people in, and then somebody don't make it. Every city in the country has an auto mile, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they all have what they call the auto mile. All the car dealers are right next to each other. 
Mm-hmm. And anymore, every car dealer sells eight different brands. <laughs> that is true. So really, as no, often, true. that's a good business lesson. One, it doesn't matter that your competitor is right next to you. In fact, if you're a good business person, that's exactly what you want. Yes, I want you to see me. You're using them. I want you to see me. I'm better than they are. That That's the way you should look at this. You shouldn't fear competition. And, and really what it comes down to in the car business, it has nothing to do with what type of car you're selling anymore. It's all about service. They will come to you to buy a car if they're happy with the service. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what will happen. If you provide superior product and service, that's exactly right. And that's how it should be. That's exactly right. Yep. All right, let's grab another call before we go off on some crazy rant. Let's go to Kansas. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, I was going to go Audi, in like, but I can't immediately post how Paul does it. Oh, there's a shout-out to Paul. I haven't heard him all week, but so he's all right. He's fine. Um. Oh, yeah. Okay, excuse the ignorance. What's that tender rejection? I don't understand what that means. Oh, boy. Um. How do we describe Joel? Every time I try to explain this, I swear I'm confusing people more than I don't know why. This is one of those issues. It's like fuel tax, and the more I talk about it, I swear the more confused people get. Mm -hmm. It was put out there, and they didn't want it. (laughs) So, So basically, what we're saying is: remember when rates were really, really high? Yeah. Almost nobody turned down loads. Why would you? The rates are so damn good. You could grab anything off the board and it was paying a lot in in comparison. Well, when rates start getting really, really bad, then those loads just get rejected. The rates are so bad that even though nobody's moving, miles are down. People are just saying, I'm not pulling that freight. Now, that's a good strategy. That's a good strategy if you can afford it. If you're like Joel's brother, who's put himself in such a good position, he didn't go chase that super high dollar freight. Remember, he stuck with his customers, did what he said he was going to do. He didn't didn't say, oh, I don't care about my contract freight, because remember, contract freight does not have to move. It it, it doesn't move a lot. A lot of carriers looked at their contract freight and said, oh, screw that. The spot market's paying 20 cents more. And they screwed their customers, left their freight sitting on the dock, and went and grabbed the stuff off the board. Now those are the guys that are sitting around going, I'm not pulling the freight. It's too cheap. I'm going to leave it on the dock. Well, okay, leave it on the dock if you can afford it. Go ahead. But most people can't afford it. Now what? And what's really funny about that is, is the guy that left his contract stuff to run in the spot market. Now he doesn't like the spot market. Rate. Now they're coming back into the contract to get cheaper than where they were at. Right. Yeah. Now the, now the shippers got you by the short hairs. Yep. Yep. We go through this um, okay. over and over and over. I, you know, I want to say people just don't learn. But, but what happened this time, and I've ta- been talking about this for a long time. It's not that people in the industry right now haven't learned. They never had the opportunity to learn. 
most of the people in this industry right now have never seen a real downturn. No, that's true. Hey, um, uh, Joe, are, are you willing to share your brother's trucking company? Aren't you guys out of South Dakota or something like that? Narwalk, Ohio. It's Ploger Transportation. Silver? Ploger. Ploger. P-L-O-G-E-R. Oh, man. I, it, bro- it broke up. Um, <laughs> damn it. Spell it one more time. Ploger. P-L-O-G-E-R. Out of what, what state? Uh, Ohio. Narwalk, Ohio. Oh, oh, you're oh, you're way out there. Okay, you're in Ohio. Okay. Hence, mm-hmm. hence the New Jersey. Henry, you said, oh, oh, I have a driver's pay, okay, when the rates are real good, instead of changing the driver's pay per mile for companies and whatnot, why don't they, why don't they instead just give bonuses during the good times, and then, I'll tell you exactly why, to a driver, okay. there's no such thing as a bonus, you pay that bonus once, That's right. and then they expect that to come, and it's never it ends. They're like, screw you, you're screwing me, I'm out of here. It does not work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, hence, the, hence the word bonus. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> but nobody understands the meaning of bonus. Trust me on this, it does not work. Try that, and it just blows up in your face every time. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah, that okay. work in well, sales and don't even understand bonuses. Yeah, right. good point. Yeah, it becomes the norm. Right, right, right. You give it to him more than uh, a week in a row, and then, oh, my God, where's my bonus? Um, <laughs> Henry, Henry, Optimize Idle, you said they're not using it correctly, driving a new freight liner, uh, 32,000 miles, and it has one It has one button on there that says Optimize Idle, interior comfort on or off, uh, and so I don't know how I could be using it incorrectly, but can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, quite simply, back in the sleeper, on the temperature control, dead center is about 72 degrees. And what will happen is they'll crank it all the way over cold, or what I use to be my remote start if I want to run my microwave. It's trying to reach a temperature it can never get to without the engine running. So the engine keeps running if they turn it all the way to cold, or all the way to hot. Okay, 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 yeah, okay, I I got you, that makes sense. All right. So so I was just at a fleet that had over 500 trucks, and I was looking at all their idle time, and they all had optimized idle, and I'm like, don't you all use it? (laughs) And it turned out that's how they were using it. And the one guy was complaining to me that his truck was baking him, and then it would freeze him because it'd run and get everything real hot, and then it would shut off, and, of course, it would cool off quickly, right? Right. I'm like, where do you have it set? And by the way, they had hydronic heaters on them as well as part of their battery-powered system. And I said, you realize you don't even have to turn the optimized idle on. You can have heat without all that. He said, no, no, yeah, you've got to have the key on. I said, no, you don't. Yeah, you just no. push the button back in the back. You don't have to have optimized idle on. And in fact, you'll have longer battery life till it needs to start. So I only use optimized idle if I'm going to be in some place where it's like 118 degrees. Otherwise, I just use the battery system and manage my power properly. Yeah, that's what, that's what this one, this has that heater. And uh, I like to sleep cold anyway, but I'll, I'll only use, it'll only kick on when the battery is low for maybe five or six minutes a night. Because if I'm running the microwave, you know what I mean? That's right. Right. So, so what I usually do is 
I just leave the temperature. I don't move it much from the center. If it's cold out, I might move it a couple of notches to the heat side, and I might move it a couple of notches to the cold side. And the other thing I found to help to extend your battery life, if you're really hot, I tried to do without optimized idle when it was really hot, and I just took a fleece blanket and hung it over my top bunk so it was only trying to cool the area where I was sleeping. And I was able to do 115 degrees for my full 10-hour break and never have the engine run. Never kicked on. Never kicked on. Well, that, that, that's, a, that's a good idea. Okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, you just think a little why, cool. Why, why cool the whole truck? I mean, I, I used to sleep in a cab over a sleeper. It wasn't <laughs> why do I need to cool the whole cab when I'm sleeping? No, exactly. Who cares if your front seat's uh, cold or, or hot? Yeah, perfect. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Hey, you know, I was talking about uh, freight waves, and I follow them a lot because they have a ton of great data. Chatting with somebody from freight waves, and I'm going to tell you what they just sent me, and I don't think they're going to tell me any more than this, but um, here's what they said. I have a feeling we are about to get some news about a very large fleet shutting down. That will be the domino effect into May. Everybody's worried about May. The rates in May, rate April is going to keep going down. But May, there's there's going to be some sort of a domino effect, and this is going to get worse. And they're talking about a very large fleet shutting down. I, everything I'm seeing, I've been saying this for a long, long time. Everything I'm seeing is is starting to point out to me, we may be in for the worst ride we've seen in my time in this industry. I hope I'm thinking of every large fleet. I know who could it possibly be? Uh, you, you, the thing for me is I follow large fleets that are publicly traded and they're can't imagine why any of them would go out this early because they've had such couple of really good years. I mean, the numbers have been great. It, it's shocking to see people drop out this early. You know, it's funny because I remember there was a large carrier that jumped into the flatbed business when I first started. And the owner of that company was quoted somewhere along the line of saying, well, if I made a dollar a day on every truck I had after all the bills are paying, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. And, and I was always like, you know what? If you're, if you're at a dollar a day and, and they were at a 98% operating ratio, that means with a few things going wrong, you could lose a dollar a day. That's right. Hearing as you appeared razor thin margins yeah so yeah you know there's which which is ironic i haven't seen them around in ages have you know where to find the pace reports anymore kevin because i remember that there was another carrier coastal yeah they called them the pace reports back in the day it had everybody's operating ratios everything all in one spot it was pretty nice Oh, no, what I've, I remembered was I've never seen it. JB Hunt was at ninety percent, and Coastal, and they, this is like twenty five, thirty years ago. It was in like CCGA or something. But I remember JB Hunt was at a dollar seventy three on every mile they turned back then, and yet they were known for being cheapskates, right? And they were at a ninety eight percent operating ratio, which it became my goal back then to get to a dollar seventy three. And I was at yeah. much more than a 2% operating ratio. But the one 
The other competitor of mine was Coastal, and I remember they're they were like a dollar thirty on every mile back then, but they had a twenty percent operating ratio, which meant to me they were operating much more eighty percent, not twenty. They had a twenty percent profit yeah. margin, eighty yeah. percent yeah. operating. Yeah, margin. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the company that I've always highlighted in trucking because their operating ratio is always outstanding. Oh, shoot. And I just Heartland Heartland has they're like the the leader in opera. I've seen their operating ratio down. If I remember right, did they get it down into the low to mid 70s at one point? They were really profitable. Very, very well-run company for a long time. Oh well, I don't know what I ended up doing with that old magazine, but I remember I used to keep it in the truck with me whenever I was there, and everybody'd be fussing about. At the time, JB Hunt was a big thorn in everybody's side, or so they thought, right? On in the flatbed arena where I was operating back and forth to Jersey out of the Carolinas back then, and I'm like, no. I'd like to be where J.B. Hunt's revenue per mile is. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's the start. Sure, that number is important, but for the most part of this industry, it's the only number they focus on. Here was my advice, you know, in this discussion. I Here's what I posted with all this stuff going on. Now, I think people know I've been talking about this since 2017, we got the timing wrong, but a lot of that had to do with Trump and then COVID really screwed up the timeline of what we thought was going to happen. Trump came in, big tax cuts, big regulation cuts, stimulated the economy and continued that boom that we thought should have been ending about the time he was being elected, which was a good thing. We got a couple really good years out of those things. Then COVID hit. And that screwed up the entire world economy. Trying to predict anything with COVID in the mix was a nightmare. I've been telling people, get prepared. This is coming. I think this one will be a bad cycle. Just because the longer and higher something goes up, the farther it has to fall. That That's just kind of common sense. But if, if, you know, at this point, here's the only advice I, I have for anybody. I posted it. It's time to hunker down. Know your numbers and be ruthless about cutting expenses to the bone. Then hold on and let's just hope this doesn't last too long. I mean, I don't know what else you do in a time like this. Building, building product. No, no, whenever you're in an up cycle, as long as we were, the down cycle is gonna be a little bit deeper. You would expect it to be a little bit deeper than normal. So I agree with you. I think this one's gonna be it's going to be hard for a lot of people. Although, if we lose a couple of big fleets right at the get-go, it may turn itself around fair, fairly damn. It will help. There is no doubt. If, if we lose one or two major carriers, it's not going to be as bad as whatever. Now, it's going to impact the used truck market and a whole lot of other things that we're going to have to work through. There's, there's no doubt about that. But <laughs> as far as kind of right in the ship, as far as rates go, you know, you lose a couple of big ones, stuff's going to turn around and and probably a pretty big hurry, I would think. Well, you know, you just brought well, up I remember I've, I've been saying every week, why isn't the used truck market where I think it should be? It's nowhere near where I think it should be on prices yet. Lose a couple big carriers and that will start to write itself too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. That's probably what it's going to take. 
you know, it's kind of survival of the fittest and, and these down markets there for a reason, you know, it washes out businesses that probably should not be in business to help, you know, kind of right the market. And it's just kind of a natural cleansing process that, you know, some people are going to fall victim to. There's, there's no uh, doubt about it. So let's, let, I remember, hold on one second. Back in 08. Matt, Matt just sent this over to me and, and we use Matt's numbers a lot because Matt's willing to share his numbers and they're pretty spectacular. And we have been wondering how, you know, Matt's doing every month, you know, every quarter, what's going on. He'll be a good indicator. Here's what happens when you do a lot of things right for a lot of years. This doesn't happen overnight. Joel, you were mentioning this before that you couldn't do what Henry does because it's taken him years to get there. Same way. Henry probably couldn't do what you're doing overnight either. Neither one of you could do what Matt's doing. It takes time. You've got to do a lot of things right for a long time. But here's Matt's uh, what period. I'm looking at first quarter here of 2023, January through March, this time where everybody's bitching about rates. Oh, my God, how are we going to make it? Do you know what Matt's profit per mile is for the first quarter? Profit. You just mentioned that J.B. Hunt was at $1.73 revenue all miles. And I know that was years back, but profit on the first quarter. Matt's still at $1.64 a mile. That is still better than almost any other year in the history of trucking. And this is what's great about being a single truck owner operator. Having been on the fleet operation side and now back to a single truck, you are absolutely in control of your own destiny. Yeah. And if you pay attention to your numbers and your efficiency, Matt's going to operate right through this down cycle with zero problems. His rate quite as high, but it's going to be, it's going to be better than most people, you know, what he's taking home and he's going to do just fine. He's not going to have any problem at all weathering the storm. In fact, you know, he'll probably have the opportunity to expand his business in the down period if he chooses to do so. And that's kind of been, you know, with my brother's fleet, kind of his principle was we're going to wait for down cycles and then we're going to take market share. And then on the way up, we just kind of hold position, hold position. And then, and then you take market share on the down cycle just based on we're that damn efficient. Worked very well for him. You know, I want to go through some more of these numbers because I'm looking at this. His his gross rate per mile, first quarter, $2.81 all miles. Outstanding. But those are the wow. customers he's been with forever. He didn't go chase the spot market. Mm-hmm. Right? He stayed with his customers. And now here's another thing we keep hearing about. Not only rates are down, but volume's down. He can't even find loads. That's why nobody's rejecting loads. That's why that tender rejection has gone so low because we're hearing there's just not enough freight. Well, I'm looking at Matt's miles in the first quarter. He's on track to do over 150,000 miles this year. So he's still doing a lot of miles, a lot of revenue. As a matter of fact, if Matt were to quit right now, today, and not work another day this year, he already has profited just about what the average truck driver makes in a year. That's awesome. In, in one quarter. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there's going to come a time in the near future where we're going to be talking about Matt's numbers and they're going to be significantly lower. I'm positive of it. I don't I don't think any of us are going to hold on to the kind of volume and and rates we were getting. They'll all drop. 
but you know who's going to make it through this. Like I said, hell, he could probably sure. quit now. He's He is somebody who, if the rates drop low enough, could just sit it out if he wanted to. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's see if we have any. Oh, my God. We have a ton of calls. Got to start getting to them here. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. John, welcome. We're having our own discussion. I know. I know. We get off on. Now, why won't this work? Let me try that again. John, welcome. There. Okay. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. I want to talk to you guys about the lift axles. My operation is, is um, I've got a dedicated customer that's all office furniture for, and I have for the last five years. So I've got a, you know, a five-axle truck, and I hear Henry talk about that, running on three axles. And, uh, I, and, of course, I'm independent, so I keep my back holes pretty light. So I just kind of wanted to see what kind of gains are you guys seeing with running on, you know, four, three or four racks. So, so what it amounts to is the twistier the road, the more it saves you. So if I'm in Texas lifting an axle, it might pick it up two, three tenths. If I go through someplace like the Gorge where I've tested it, where you feel like you're looking at your own trailer tail lights, it sit up almost seven tenths just for lifting it. And it usually averages out to having it as a free rolling axle versus a driven axle. That's worth close to a half to begin with. And I hate that it works out to that round number because it makes it sound like BS, but that's right in the range that it works out to be. Okay. So, so go ahead. A, a couple of things, a couple of things to keep in mind here. When we lift axles, everybody says, oh, it lowers rolling resistance. That's not necessarily true. When we lift axles, we are optimizing the percentage of your gross combination vehicle weight on the drive axle, and then it's optimizing that tire footprint. So the tire drive tire footprint grows, and it kind of offsets the, the rolling resistance. I think what Henry's talking about when you're going around more curvier the route, the the bigger the gain. That is absolutely true. It, it does lower rolling resistance to a certain degree, but probably not as much as what, what everybody's thinking. No. With a six by two, we suffer from, you know, the micro slip or torque snap or over acceleration of the tire, whatever term you want to put on that. And as we optimize the footprint on the tire, we reduce the tire wear and re reduce that slippage. And that's really where most of your fuel efficiency gain really comes from. So we're eliminating, obviously, all the gears and stuff and all that parasitic drag, all the extra lube. It equates to about 25 horsepower by the time it makes it to the ground that you're, you're, you're saving. And then you optimize the contact patch, and that's where you're getting your fuel savings from rather than just a rolling resistance play. Absolutely. I agree with that, Joel. To me, the part that gets overlooked is a tandem isn't just a rolling tire. It's a tire that's in a scrub situation because you're not always driving perfectly straight. And matter of fact, if you're in the Northeast, it seems like you're never driving perfectly straight. And you're literally dragging that tire sideways every time you make any kind of a steering move. Yeah, I, I don't, don't disagree with that at all. It's, 
the little, once you understand why you're saving the money and, and how it works and it becomes a little bit easier to get your mind around when you're spec in the truck, it's like I said, it's not just all rolling resistance. There's a lot of other, no. other things at play there. That being said, I haul a lot of furniture, so I'm probably similar weights to what, what you're running. And when I had to lift the axle trailer when I was doing this for my brother, I was on three axles the overwhelming majority of the time mm. running that stuff. Now, we got to make sure we have the right axle capacities and fifth wheel placement in order to optimize all that axle uptime. I was able to get axle up on the truck up to 62,000 pounds gross but I had an extended slider on the trailer and I was moving some things that you typically can't do, but you should be able to haul in office furniture, run the overwhelming majority of your time axle up. In my opinion, without knowing everything that you, you have going on, but just knowing what, what I'm doing and the similarities there, you should see at least a half and the faster you go, the more benefit you're going to see. So if you got to kick it in the butt and run 75 mile an hour, you're really going to start to see a benefit because drag is exponential, just like aerodynamic drag is. I don't know anybody that benefit you see. I don't know anybody that has to kick it in the butt and run 75. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try to avoid it, but you know, it is what it is. (laughs) I'm I'm running from uh, Indiana to uh, Texas. And um, mm-hmm. my truck right now, it's a six by two, but it's a poor man six by two, you know, just a dead axle it's on a Cascadia. And mm-hmm. So that's what I was wanting to do. You know, I was wanting to take the, the drive axle, move it to the back, put a lift axle in its place, and then uh, do the trailer. And Henry, I know you've got an older trailer. What I'm running into on my trailer is it's got a 30 30 long stroke. So I don't know how, I want to see how you actually do. That's your axle to work because there's not much room in there. You had to replace the brake chamber with welding that bracket in place. Hmm. Mine, nothing was in the way. I just got the Hendrickson underlift kit on it along with the control box because I had four-channel ABS that had to get that straightened out, but it didn't throw an ABS code when there was an axle lift. It, okay. There was so, no clearance issues on mine. So... Yeah, that's what I was, I saw, I was, I was going to order one and they were saying there can be, because you know, there's just not much room right there between your pivot point and where your brake chamber starts. So is yours welded to that beam or is it the bolt on to the side? It's welded to the front of the beam. It's welded to the front of the bracket where it comes down to the beam. It's nowhere near my brake chambers. How does it, how does it lift the beam then because what i'm seeing is that you've got the front part bracket and then you weld onto the beam itself and the airbag pushes against the two it, it pushes on the bottom it just pivots it around by pushing forward on it but it arcs hinged it becomes around i'm trying to think of how to describe that by pushing forward the airbags in front of where your control your arm boxes are that go down but it's a solid piece that goes all the way around the, the beam, so it's literally pivoting on the alignment bolt. Well, hey, not just an alignment bolt, it's the bolt. That- hey, hey, Henry, can can you draw a picture of that and hold it up to the mic? Because I'm having a hard time picturing this. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to figure out how to tell. I know. This is one of those things we need pictures. 
Google the presuming you have a Hendrickson suspension. Yes. Yeah. It's just a UBL kit on it. Okay. Under well, I, I looked at some of their uh, diagrams and paperwork, and they said if you have a 30-30 long stroke, you can't have clearance issues. And I, I think it would fit, but if I just I don't know how I would ever get the brake chamber out if I had to change it. That's where I'm. Maybe maybe our trailers or suspensions are a little different. Must be a little bit different because this UBL kit doesn't get anywhere near my brake chambers. Okay, I have. Maybe I'm just looking at it wrong because I have two trailers. I have a 2007 and 2012, both Hendrickson, and they're. I'm kind of looking at the same thing, so I don't know. I have to check on it a little bit, but um, yeah, I don't know. So you guys think even the even the, what do you think the truck and trailer? You still think that's at the half a mile a gallon, both of them? Each. Oh, each. Oh, well, wow. well, wait a minute. You're already six by two. You're just not lifting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you might. You're not going to quite see a half on each. You're you're probably going to be closer to, you know, seven tenths total. I would be my best right. estimation because it's already a six yeah. by two, yep. which is still significant. I was cost. I was too busy drawing pictures. I was drawing pictures <laughs> in my head that he was supposed right. to see, them, and I That's forgot right. that he was already a six by two. Okay. All right. That's what I was just trying to figure out my return on investment. Cause, so that'll give me something to go by. I appreciate it, guys. There you go. Thank you. Yes. All right. So, you know, Kevin, while you're talking about that with lifting axles, something that I'm running into because I didn't get all my toll discounts that you need to get. When I was running that Northeast run, I'm in a battle with them right now. You're pre-passes and stuff like that that you use for your tolls, you have to put yourself down as the minimum amount of axles that you can be. So, for example, the Delaware Memorial Bridge won't take away axles, mm-hmm. it'll only add axles. So I need to be down yep. as a two-axle. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. You know, that's another thing we talked about once in a while when we first started talking about liftable axles, truck or trailer. In operations, there is a very significant savings on tolls. Yeah, yeah, it's bigger than most people think. Now, there are other operations where they never pay us a toll, so it's not going to matter to them. But there there are places where that really matters. You know, I, I made it a point to go over Matt's numbers. And when we think about this show, now you think about people, both of you two are Right now in single truck operations, and we've talked about your numbers, fantastic. I mean, really good. We we know that. It's been a great couple of years, and we have a lot of other people that call the show that have done all of the things right. And if we sit down, the list would get long. What do you have to do to get to that point? You got to know your numbers. You got to control your numbers. You got to build relationships. We go on and on and on and on. But let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm going to read a very short paragraph from social media. And this is what we've been dealing with for a long, long time in the industry. People getting in and not doing any of those things. Listen to this paragraph. I was helping a guy. He bought a junk truck, but had no money. Wanted banker's hours due to wife pressure. Went and got his own MCDOT number. Got his first load. Wife made him turn it down because it's Easter. He's toast in the broker world. 
I don't even, that hurts my brain to read that. <laughs> Mine too. Let's think about something. Here's what I'm really wondering about. Now, if I was reading this last year, it wouldn't surprise me much at all. Who's the bonehead? Easter. This is happening right this minute. Who's the bonehead that just went out and got their own MC and TOT number and they're barely making it anyway? Yeah. So, along with that, Kevin, you're, you're making me think of something that I often hear. Well, two things. One, I had a lot of family members all the time. Well, it doesn't matter to you because you can write that off. And I'm like, you do realize if I have enough write-offs, I'm not in business anymore. <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> and the other one is, well, you're your own boss. You can do whatever you want. I said, do you realize once you get your own truck and your own authority and your own customers, you have more bosses than you ever had before? Because if you're not making all them happy to some extent, you're not in business anymore. Oh, exactly. Here's the thing. If you think because you're in business, you can do anything you want. It's correct. You can. You just won't be in business long. You can. <laughs> you can. just won't be in it long. That's right. That's right. You don't get to do Your business will take you up want. residence under a bridge somewhere. Right. You don't get to do anything you want. You have to do the things that make a business successful. That's what we're trying to get across to people. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's grab another call because they're piling up on us again. Let's go to Iowa. Randy, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. How you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, hey, I've found myself in a little bit of a unique position. I'm, I've got it, an 85 International. I'm thinking about putting it on the road with new authority, and I figured I'd let you guys try to shoot holes in my idea here for a little bit. <laughs> well, it's funny I, uh, that the last statement I just made was, what idiot would go get their authority right now? Wait a minute, Kevin. This is a unique situation, which is different than what you just read about. That it, it, you are That is the truth. That's right. There are people who should go out and get their authority right now, and this may be one of them. But I will say the guy yeah, who so. went out, but the guy who went out and bought a cheap truck and has no money and has to please his wife and has to be home all the time and had to cancel his first load because it was Easter. That guy's not going to make it. Uh, let's just be honest about it. He's nope. not going to make it. <laughs> Unfortunately, is not that unique of a situation. No, it's the norm. Right. Right. No, I've, I've kind of positioned myself with this, with this older truck. I've had it for a few years. I've been throwing a little bit of money at it off, and I'm kind of getting it ready. I'm looking at a part-time situation with it. I'm wondering if it's really feasible to go out and pick cherries and do some seasonal work with it. I have a uh, another gig that I do that I, I did pretty good last year with it, but I, I had a lot of time off. So I'm looking to fill in some gaps with some power-only work. Oh, you know what? Got the tools for my insurance. You know, I, I figured out what it's going to take to put it on the road with license and whatnot. And I'm I'm trying to trying to figure out if you know roughly a fifty thousand mile year makes it worth it. Your insurance is is the biggest factor here because the insurance is basically yeah, it's basically a fixed cost. Everything else you can manage. You know what the rate is. You know you. For the most part, we know what fuel is, and as long as you've got a fuel surcharge on this, then you have no risk of fuel cost. 
That's the beauty of a fuel surcharge. If you have a negotiated fuel surcharge that changes with fuel prices, you've just eliminated the risk of fuel cost. That's that's a big, big deal. You have very low fixed cost because you've owned the truck forever. So really, the only factor here that can we do this with only 50,000 miles really is insurance. What was your quote? Uh, right at $9,000 for a new authority. It'll come down after 23 months. You know, it'll, it'll step down without any claims. What's the, uh, what's the rate on this freight? So with fuel, we're looking at probably between two. 40 and 250 and then there's drop there's drop pay and other incentive pay for i don't see how you could go wrong really those those numbers are rock solid in today's world i don't see how you could go wrong with that i don't see a whole lot of risk there now that's that's the base rate on local you know that that would be that would be more of a regional rate you know on local freight there's 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 short stuff and it's not rated you know, and it's it's it's, it's well it's well about that. Yeah. So here's the way I look at this. This is this is one of those opportunities that we're going to see start creeping up. Not that they're you know the rates are going to set the world on fire, but they're solid, really solid. And if you have good control of your expenses, which you have, I just don't see how you can go wrong with an opportunity like this. Think about it. All you're really putting at risk here is about nine thousand dollars. I mean, you're going to pay a couple thousand to get your yeah. authority and get that, but putting less than $15,000 at risk. Hell, in today's world, one breakdown can cost us $15,000. So just to kind of put things in perspective, when we look at, you know, local work, instead of looking at per mile, we just kind of look at what kind of revenue we can generate per day. Right. And uh, yeah, so a lot of this depends on, you know, what my brother's fleet as an example again depending on how busy he is and if he wants to screw with the local stuff but he's looking at i need to generate at least 1200 bucks a day and it's it's worth it worth it to him regardless of the mouth right that's what he wants to he wants to gross is at least 1200 a day and you know everything's good with the world at that point so it doesn't probably have to be that high in in your case but if you're in that you know 900 to 1300 range per day Hell yeah, run with it. And here's the way so, we have to I was looking in, in in a market like we're heading into. You know, I hear from people all the time that say, oh, my God, how do you compete with these big fleets? And that? you don't. Don't go compete with them. And this is a place, and we're not even talking about a big fleet. We're actually talking about a, a small to medium-sized fleet. But you don't compete against them with what they're good at. He needs $1,200 because he's got a driver to pay. And he can't pay that driver less than the market because he'll lose drivers. Owner-operators have an advantage. We could cut our own pay. and we Yes, and we can cut our own pay. I'm willing to go work for a lot less because that's the market today. And I'm going to take this freight and I'm going to make enough money so I don't go out of business. And and fleets sometimes look at it and go, I can't do that, or I will go out of business. That's exactly right. I've been out of the industry since about 2010. You know, I, I went through a couple of recessions. I, I started driving in 96, and uh, hmm, I saw it getting, getting ugly. I sold a truck that, you know, we had good freight and regular freight, but I, I picked up a, a, a job in the utility industry at home. 
and I've been doing that. That's that's part of what I can do here. To couple it, I kind of couple it together with the thought that you had, you know, in the last year about having a spare truck when there was such a parts deficit in the country. I've got, you know, you could make that correlation. Is that wrong? You know, to uh, to have this older truck. And I love that you guys are talking about getting such wonderful mileage out of these new trucks. And I'm talking to you about an 85 with a 400 big cam in it. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> I, you know, you know when you just said, because I can work on it, I got I can work on it. I got two or three shops within a couple of miles of the house that I can drive that thing into and, and do a lot of my own work. When you said an '85 International, I was going to ask what engine. I never got around to it because I had an '85 International with a big cam in it. So I was thinking that might have been what you had. Yeah, it's in, in, in a quick backstory. Hey guys, was, sorry. Go ahead. Somebody... No, it's a, it's a it's an old cab over. Okay. It's in it's in pretty good shape. I like I like I like cabin. I don't mind driving it. And uh, I just I, I think I see a little bit of an opportunity. I just wanted to you know get your take on it quick. No, I I think it's a great opportunity. I'd be all over it. Yeah. So this is one of the things I bump up against all the time. Of course, everybody knows I'm running the latest and greatest and pushing technology out there. And, you know, Kevin had mentioned this early on. There's a million different ways to skin a cat, and every operation is different. And, you know, this is probably the exact type of business model that I would run where you're not running a lot of miles. It's part-time. This is where this older truck fits perfectly into. You know, there's absolutely no point trying to push a truck with that costs $225,000, regardless if it gets 10 miles a gallon, into this type of duty cycle. It, it just does not work, and I fully understand that and get that. And it's just it's kind of comical, though, when you get guys that they're in the situation that this gentleman's in, and they think that the whole rest of the world's in that same situation. And, oh, you're a fool if you buy a new truck and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's just... There are a million different ways to skin a cat. There's no right or wrong answers really here. I think you're spot on perfect with what you're doing for this type of duty cycle. I think you're, you, you couldn't have hit it any more perfect. No, for sure. Does that help, Randy? Did we lose Randy? Are you there? I don't know. I think we lost Randy. I had a lot of weird background noise today, too. Somebody's actually saying my mic is sounding funny today, like they're hearing hearing almost an echo in my mic, but I can't figure out where that might be coming from because I'm not hearing it. Um, so we'll continue. Oh, good on my end. Yeah, I, I, I monitor the sound and I'm not hearing it, but I've heard three people now say that there's something weird going on today. We'll keep going. Probably me, Kevin. Muting my phone because I'm in a hospital. As somebody said, there's a lot of background noise on one of the calls, and I can't distinguish that right now on this system. All of the guests and callers are on the same channel on my boards. I can't tell who's who, but uh, in our new system, which I'm hoping to start testing any day now, uh, we should be able to fix all of these issues. But we're we're going to get to the calls. We'll go to Georgia. Brett, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. Hey, you know what? I did just figure out what it is because I can hear it now. So somebody, 
that's on the line, and it's probably not the caller, it's either Henry or Joel. You either have your volume up so high, we're actually getting feedback from you. You, My voice is coming through somebody's speakers and then back through their mic. Yeah, I can hear, I can hear you fine. So if, if uh, not mine, I have mine muted. Yeah, if you can turn your incoming volume down, so that whatever volume you're hearing my voice on on your end, if you can turn that down, that should stop that feedback coming back through the mic. Well, I cut you in half. Okay, that should work. And, and everything I, sounds a I've little better now. Okay. All right, Brett, go ahead. Yeah, so I talked to you Tuesday about getting back into the business, and, and uh, I found a truck. I did find a, a 91 Peterbilt 372, the aerodynamic cab over, and it's got a 12.7 set at 365 at 1,800, and it's got an RTX. 14609P transmission, which I don't know oh, what the P it's, designates. It's RTX, not RTOX? Yes. Oh. It's this, RTX. That's a direct drive. That's a final direct drive. What's the gear ratio on this truck? It has three sevens. Something's wrong. Ooh. Something's incorrect here. It can't possibly be. Maybe I'm mixing. I always. 307. 307 was a fairly popular ratio for a direct drive. Yeah, 307, but not a 370. Okay. I would have misunderstood when they. Peterbilt. Now, here's the here's the other thing. I just want to make sure I'm not getting this wrong. My understanding of the the letters for the Eaton transmissions, RTX. If there's no O in those initial letters, then it's not an overdrive. That's what the O designates. So one of two things is incorrect here. Either this is not a direct drive transmission, or it's not 370 gears. But something is wrong with that. Yeah, something okay. was wrong it, in that it, combination. It could very well be a three oh seven. I could have misunderstood him. I'm not and I'm not seeing it in the it, they're not specific with the uh he sent me some some paperwork, but it doesn't doesn't have that on there. But I guess what I my question is, well I want to talk about uh, you know, re gearing, going to a six by two with a lift and uh, you know, making the engine, it's got 532,000 miles on it. So it's relatively low miles and it's a great shape, this truck. And, um, you know, I want to set it up as best I can for, for fuel economy. So let and, me ask you uh, this, if, without knowing those two details for sure, we're at a little bit of a handicap here, but not completely. If the price was right on this truck, I could care less about the transmission or the gears. Because we're going to change them anyway. Not both, but you can work with whatever transmission you've got and then just pick the best gears for it and do that whole six by two conversion all at once. So this is a truck I'd be interested in. I like what I'm hearing so far. It would all come down to price. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm getting a good deal on the truck. We're looking at right in the 20,000. Oh, yeah. I'd be interested in that truck. Very interested. 
So, so then as far as, um, you know, I don't know, you know, I definitely want to, want to gear it correctly. If, if we're assuming that it has the RTX, uh, transmission and it's direct drive, then, and if it does have a 307, would I want to change that and go to, you know, uh, even if it had the, or something or, the ideal gear ratio for this in, in almost every operation is going to be 264s. Okay. If, okay. if we're trying to and expect then, this truck to run in direct, wherever direct happens to be in that transmission, and it doesn't really matter. If it's what, the final what, gear, fine. What it, year is the truck again? 92. What year is it again? 92. 91. 91. And the engine is electronic and not mechanical, correct? Yeah, because it's correct. A 12 it's a twelve seven. Okay, all right. I just I didn't want you to get a mechanical right. engine and start downspeeding it yeah. and then run into all kinds of trouble. So <laughs> right. No, this is a twelve seven. Oh, that, that would be a disaster. <laughs> okay. Yeah, technically, um, I think ninety one. That would be a D deck two, and we can do some upgrades and some I've, some really nice stuff on that D deck two. It's a great engine. Right. So what what. Uh, how, how, uh, what would be a good horsepower setting? I don't know what Pittsburgh can do with the 12.7. Well, I know here's, here's, here's something to, to consider here. Now, you're talking essentially about down speeding this to a certain degree. And it's, it's not about how much horsepower, it's about where the horsepower is made. So you'll see today's OEMs, they're going to put out a 400 horsepower with 1,850 pound-feet of torque, and that's their downsped version. Their t traditional version would be 505-1850, and here's what you got to remember. The low horsepower with high torque means you're making that horsepower at low RPM, and that's what is absolutely critical when you're going to do this because making a whole bunch of horsepower but at higher rpm that you're never going to see when you regear it is a complete waste of your money so it's not about can i make it a 500 or it's putting 500 horsepower to the ground that means absolutely zero what you need to know is down around a thousand 1100, 1200, 1300 RPM where you want to run this engine to reduce mechanical drag is how much horsepower you're making down there. So don't get caught up in the mm -hmm. it makes 700 horsepower yeah. because that's meaningless. It's mm -hmm. where it occurs, curve, and you need that to occur early on. Now, I'll be honest with you. 60 series Detroit's are not necessarily known for making a lot of horsepower at no. low RPM. Typically it's 1500 and above. So you, you got to kind of be careful with this and, and don't get caught up in right. uh, add horsepower to it. It solves all problems because it absolutely does not when you're going to down. Well, all, all that's correct. That's for a lot of these engines. Yeah. Let me say this because I've got so much experience with the 12 seven this is very doable. What Joel is describing is absolutely correct. And I will tell you, you're not going to run this truck at a thousand. It's just not going to happen. That engine is not comfortable no. down there. About 1250 is really about as low as I like to run these. So you want to look at your operation and your speed, but 264s or maybe 279s to give us a little more RPM. But I will tell you that Pittsburgh Power's tune on this engine is ideal. 
that they're getting about as much as we're going to get out of this setup. They've got the horsepower, and I don't have the exact numbers, but I've driven Mm. it enough to know it it will make it a very drivable truck with that tune. I don't think the horsepower is very high. I mean, I I don't know the numbers. I never put mine on a dyno. I've had a couple of them tuned that way, and I liked them a lot. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it to be super high if we're making it early. I don't think it is. Clear in the curve. Right. I don't think it is. If you got a tune where they say they're – they're going to make you six or 700 horsepower. Be very wary of that. It's, you know, in the, in the 500 horsepower range and you see increase in torque that corresponds with the horsepower. If it's the same torque, if they say we're going to bump your horsepower, but the torque number doesn't move, all that means is that the horsepower is being made at a higher RPM. The torque has to increase with the horsepower in order to move the power further down the, the RPM range. So there has to be an increase in torque with the horsepower. If it's just all horsepower, that simply means we're making it at higher and higher RPM, which is exactly what you don't want. That's where a lot of those engines got misunderstood that we're out there. Joel, yes, yes absolutely. The 400 downs bed engines yep. and everybody's like, you're doing my 400 horse, but yeah, I don't have no power. Look at that. <laughs> making way more horsepower, low RPM than the 500 is. And that's where you're driving the engine. So that's what is super important. What most people miss, they don't understand it. I personally do not know anything about these tunes, so I can't speak to them, but you just want to understand that if you have a horsepower increase with no torque increase, because it's, it's torque times RPM divided by 5252 is horsepower. It is simply a function of math. If you increase horsepower without increasing torque, it means you have to do it at higher RPM. You want to see the torque number go up and the horsepower ideally would actually go down a little bit. And that torque number goes mm-hmm. up. That means you're making more horsepower at lower RPM where you want to, if you're going to gear the truck like this. Okay. And then as far as, uh, you know, doing the, uh, doing a dead axle, doing a six by two, can I use, what can I use that's there? Uh, and well, uh, here's, I, here's my thoughts on this. And, and this may, this probably is going to cut against what everybody else thinks about this, but having spent decades with six by twos and understanding what it takes to get it optimal and ideal personally, I would stay away from the conversion and just get a high efficiency mm-hmm. six by four. It's going to make things a lot easier. You can do this conversion, but just understand you're probably going to be the only person driving the truck because the second you put somebody else in it, they're going to push back on it. It's going to take a lot more effort on your part. If you're okay with that, um, that's, that's fine. You're the only guy in the truck and you understand it's going to take a little more effort and skill to run the six by two to make it work right. Then we can continue to have that discussion, but never right. be on par with what the OEMs are producing today with all the sophisticated weight biasing and non-torque reactive suspension mm-hmm. and stuff that are going on. A high efficiency six by four, I think you're almost better off putting the money into finding those high efficiency axles and sticking with the suspension that you got, because that works pretty good. That 50, 50 split without all the weight biasing and whatnot, 
you're going to you're going to see some tire wear issues and functionality is not probably going to be what you're expecting oh. unless you can put all of the weight biasing features into the system. So Joel, just, just for what it's worth, I had built one of them years ago out of the necessity. Mm-hmm. It was actually making a four by two into a six by two liftable. Mm-hmm. And, and how I got around part of that with the weight biasing was I manually did it with a regulator. Yeah, right. Uh, we done the and same thing back in saying. the day. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Hey, Joel, you know, you started yep. that sentence off saying rest of us probably won't agree with this, but I completely agree with you. Right? That's exactly how I feel. You know, we, we built one of those back in 08 and started talking about it. And, and then as the industry picked it up and improved it, which they should, you know, we're, we're melding things yeah. together in a garage. I mean, we're trying to prove a concept right. that this makes sense. There's some yep. gains here. Could it be done better than, you know, our garage rebuild of course? And and you're right. Now that these things are, are being perfected, I want the factory system. But I agree with you. In a case like this where a guy can do the work himself, get used parts, oh, he's going to be the one driving it, still might make sense to do some of these Right. Just don't don't have this expectation that it is going to perform on par with the OEM because 99% of the cases, it's not going to. You're going to have some challenge. And as long as you're okay with that, hey, let's rock and roll. I mean, I'll throw some information out there and and do what I can to help. But you just need to know that up front. And, And I've seen so many guys disappointed with it. Know they they put a lot of time and effort into it. And they're like, well, I was stuck at this dock and stuck at the. You know that stuff's going to happen from time to time right. with the, with the with the home engineered solution. It's it's just going to. And as long as you're okay with that, uh, what you there's a lot of things that you can do here. I would recommend a lot of guys want to just single it out and use that 20k axle housing. You can do that. Uh, we'll get some axle flex and some. Some bunky tire wear potentially with that. I would try and find a salvage yard 23k and, and stick under it. That would be, and and you could find those relatively cheap. You know, uh, all the LTL single axle trucks had a 23k housing on them, and typically they were direct drive with ratios that you're going to be looking for. So that would be my advice. Hold that and hire an axle. Maybe you can trade the six by four for the single axle and not have a lot of money into it, and uh, just go from there. And Joel, it's funny you say all that when you were saying about getting stuck. People seem to forget. I haven't found a truck yet that you can't get stuck. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, what is a high efficiency six by four? Oh, there's a lot of them out there nowadays. I'm not exactly 100% sure on the efficiency gain. I tell you, in my brother's fleet, because uh, they have a very fast trade cycle nowadays, they went from 6x2 back to a high efficiency 6x4. Those axles are out there, newer tra- trucks that have been wrecked. That's probably, honestly, what I would be looking for on that. And you're probably looking at a 1% to 2% increase in efficiency versus a standard 6x4. You throw the, the more modern oils in this, into the axle housings, you know, the, the low viscosity oils. You might pick up another percent. So they're, they're very competitive in terms of the 6x2, especially if 
you don't have an optimized six by two, it's actually probably a better solution. You know, half baked versus high efficiency six by four. Myself personally, that's where I would go is the high efficiency six by four. I wonder how complicated that would be doing some of the things like the active loop management tied into an older truck if you put those under an older truck. And well, I don't know in, in the case of like over. like the Dana the Dana Spicer, they, they've had a, a version of that for quite a while. The efficiency is pretty high on the Advantech. The Meritor high efficiency stuff is more recent. I don't know how long the Detroit axles have been out, but that's the great thing about doing this. If you could find a set of Detroit axles high efficiency that you could slide under there or Dana or whoever, it doesn't really make any difference just as long as that's a high efficiency tandem. All right. Okay. Well, I think uh, I think you guys have, have answered my questions for today. All uh, right. So I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. You know, this uh, show's turning kind of serious for a Friday. You know, we're talking about, you know, technical <laughs> stuff and you got to lighten things up. I'm not sure that this is any lighter, though. Um, sometimes, you know, I read. The- Go ahead. Yeah, sir. It's funny. This just brought back memories of how I put my first my two liftable pusher together, and it was because where I worked at a private care, we needed a six by four, but we didn't have budget to get another truck. And I found a lift axle off of an old GMC leaseway car carrier at the salvage yard. Dug that out of there, put the whole thing together, and the combination worked awesome. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> nice. That's back in eighty nine. Ah. Oh. Yeah, back when we used to hack stuff together. I guess we still do kind of, just not nearly as much as we used to. So one of the issues that's going on in our country today, and I read a lot of news, and sometimes I swear I look at these headlines and I read them and then I read the article and I'm like, what world are we living in today? How did things get this weird this fast? So here's what I'm talking about. Is that either one of you follow this whole issue with the the trans athletes competing against women. <laughs> yes. I can't even believe this is an yep. issue. I can't believe there's another side to this. Like I know my thoughts on it and I'm having a hard time wondering why anybody would have any other thought. And it, it's actually becoming dangerous. Forget the fact that it's just wrong. Uh, yesterday I read a story, the MMA an M- a male MMA fighter. So funny. He, he broke two skulls. He broke these women's skulls. Did you, did you did you hear her or I don't know how to address what but anyway at the end of it, you know, he's going, Oh you bitches, I'm I coming know. to get you and he's I got know. a deeper voice than those guys. What in the hell is going on? And she's like, you like that, bitches. I'm coming to get you. Like, oh, oh what a tough guy you are. <laughs> oh, you got three, three days stubble going on. And it was the most screwed up thing I'd ever seen in my life. This chick laying on the ground and her head splitting too. And he's up there, bitches, I'm coming to get you. I can't believe wow. we're okay with this. I can't believe we even have to. Oh, my this. God. Well, here's a, here's another story. I just read. Listen to this. Have we're, you, we're not. You know, this. No, oh, I know. This, one of the big stories is that Leah Thomas, the swimmer, 
the male swimmer mm-hmm. who is shattering records. You know, he competed as a male swimmer <laughs> for a lot of years. He was ranked like mediocre, 468th in the country or something as a male swimmer. And as a female swimmer, he happens to be number one and he's shattering mm-hmm. records. But they'll stand there and say, but but. Males have no advantage. Joe Biden just said that the other day. Males have no advantage over females. Unbelievable. Listen to this, though. There is one girl. I post about her all the time. We should hold her up. We should make a good example of her. Uh, Her name is Riley Gaines. She's a college swimmer. She has competed and lost against Leah Thomas. And she complains about it. And she should complain about it. So, Here's what happened. Listen to this. This is what I'm reading on Twitter. It's happening right now. Transgender activists are holding Riley Gaines hostage, demanding money in exchange for her safe passage off the San Francisco State University. Is this for real? They actually kidnapped this girl and they're holding her hostage. She's the only normal one. And they'll be held up as heroes. I know. Right, I, I right. I think I'm losing my right. mind. A little nuts. I just don't understand why they just don't have a third category. Why don't they have male, female, and go. trans? I'm okay with that. I'd be fine well, with what's, that. What's so hard about that? I've got no problem with that either. Right. And, Compete in the category that you should be. If you're trans, there's a trans category. Okay. Yeah, okay. No problem. Problem solved. Nobody is complaining about a woman who wants to live as a man competing against men. Nobody's complaining about that. I'm okay with that. Nobody's going to get hurt. And if you can win, fantastic. I kind of doubt that you're going to win much, but we're okay with that. If you want to do that work, let's create this third category then. I'm okay with that too. But the yeah, idea yeah. of biological males competing against females is just so wrong. I saw the Canadian weightlifter that for a day he identified as a woman and he went into some competition that just blew everybody out of the freaking water just to prove a point because there were a lot of trans uh, competitors in there and and he he just smoked them. And they they couldn't deny him because of the way the Canadian laws work as long as you identify. And that's what he did. He goes, oh, I'm just going to self-identify for a day. And he went in there and just blew everybody. <laughs> women should just yeah, be that's damn cool. over this. I can't believe more it's women amazing. are standing up and screaming about this. Well, why, why not just have a division, open division, where run yeah. what you brung. You can have it too. Yeah, that that's okay too. But to but to force women or girls in school who have worked hard for years, whether it's to get a college scholarship or whatever it is, just to compete, just to compete and win. You know, competition is an awesome thing. Maybe that's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, the other side does not like competition. That's really maybe what this is all about. These women don't have a chance. It's not competition. That's just wrong. I agree. But I agree. You start cracking people's skulls open. There's there's a little bit of a problem, you know. And that's horrible. That's and then understand. for them to get up and I, Jesus. I also have a story of a high school. A high school decided that because the other high school they were scheduled to play against had a male, a biological male on the female team, this high school just passed. They said no. 
They didn't make a big deal about it. They said, no, we're just not going to play that game. We'll forfeit. That hurts their standings, everything. They're going to pay for that, that they forfeit. That wasn't enough, though. The the county or whoever, the governing body of these schools tried to cancel that team for the rest of the season because they wouldn't play against a team that had a biological male on them. Who are these people? That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Absolutely crazy. All right. Let's go back to a call. Paul, howdy. Howdy. Got breaking <laughs> Good seeing you, Mid American Paul. Hey, 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 Henry, it's, it's, I think we're getting a lot of background noise from your phone again. Yeah, turn them off. That's right. All right. Um, go ahead, Paul. The, so, a Facebook group I belong to, I'm looking the other day in the this front line of Cascadia and it looked pretty clean and I thought it was reasonably priced. It was like 32000 or something. And I flicked through the pictures and it's like, oh, this looks pretty good. Reasonable price. And then I start reading about it, 700,000 miles, good tires, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then it goes deleted and it's like, well, it's not a good buy. <laughs> and boy, did I get beat Boy, did I get beat up for commenting about that. Really? Uh, got accused of being <laughs> got accused of being a Biden voter, and when, when I <laughs> just love that shit. <laughs> they know your entire political backstory based on a comment on a delete. You just you gotta love it. Oh, oh that, gosh, that story that landline had you just talked about the six hundred thousand dollar. I screenshotted that, put it on, in, and it's like here's a good reason to not delete. And uh, some guy responds, oh, but that's only the pickup truck market. And so the EPA is the EPA. They control the rules for little trucks and whatever else. So some people just don't get it. But Hey, yeah. guys, I want to keep jumping in here with uh, some of the numbers I'm seeing reported and some of the stuff I'm seeing around social media because it's starting to come in kind of fast. Listen to this. This is from a broker. So... This is their post just an hour ago. Slowest day in four years. There are 11 pending loads for our brokerage today. Usually that number is somewhere between three and 500. That, the thinning of the herd has begun. Is gonna begin. That is a really, really scary post. A brokerage that is that was typically putting up three to five hundred loads a day now has eleven. Yeah. Ooh. So, um, okay, the brokers like I'm kind of like you guys. I don't care what the broker makes, but I wider they're a good pusher of this, and I do belong to them. But sometimes I wonder why, but. Um, they always want to see the how much the broker makes. Well, I don't really care how much the broker makes, but if you think about trial lawyers, what do they take? 30, 40, 50 percent? Everybody <laughs> thinks they're right with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. how about a, just a real estate agent getting 6%? 6%. 
Six percent on a home is a lot of money to walk around and say, this is the living room. That's the bathroom. Yeah, I kind of get it. I know that. What the hell else does a real estate broker do these days, really? And they still pull down those kind of commissions. They're waiting with the door open and right. they're there to show you around, I suppose. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, there's so, there's a ton of value so added. If so, if we if drivers want to know how much the broker made, and the in the at the very end of it, it's the customer that's getting whatever product. They're probably paying the freight overall anyway, even if they don't come out of their pocket, because the people that shipped it, and it's like, well, we got to get three thousand dollars for this, so price per tonne or length or whatever they're selling, it gets added into that price. Well, um, if everybody wants to know how much the broker made, doesn't the customer that's getting the product, want he want to know how much I made? I've always brought that one up too. And and again, the, the real irony of all this is they're screaming. They want to know how much the broker makes, and yet they don't even know how much they make. All they know is the top line. Yeah, well, I, if, I, if I go to Walmart and I buy two bananas and it costs me 52 cents, but I go to the Love's truck stop and I get two bananas for $1.90 or $2 or whatever they are, I'm pretty sure the bananas probably came off the same trees. To, <laughs> That's right. Maybe, maybe, Love's go, maybe Love's go to Walmart and buy their bananas from they there. They might. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I had one other thing, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, brokers, emissions. Oh, and carving a rut in the road. I've been known to do that too. How many times have you gone to me and it's like Paul in Texas or Oklahoma? Well, I do go other places occasionally. So, but I like running this rut that I have down here. But if it quits and I got to go somewhere else, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, which the the port the the jeep stuff lands in Texas at the end of June, the leases up and they're turn they're turning that part of the terminal. It's they're doing the container terminal expansion there. So the little auto port facility at the end of June, it's getting completely wiped out. So, but no one knows where the where they're going to land those jeeps anymore, whether they're going to go right into the port of Houston or Freeport or Galveston or how they might unload them in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, you know, when we, when the economy shifts this much, a lot of things will change. A lot of things will start changing like that. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Wait and see. So, yep. That's about all I got today. I think Uh, that's all we need. Thanks for the call. All right. We're, uh, we're getting ready to take the last call we have on the board. If we're done, we'll wrap this up. If you want to jump in, there's still time. Let's go to Mississippi. Matt, speaking of people who cut a trench in the road, Matt, that that trench between (laughs) Minnesota and Florida must be getting deep. (laughs) Yeah, I've been uh, between Minnesota and Florida so many times, I'm pretty sure the truck can drive itself. I think so. Yeah, that's how mine is. So, um, 
since it's Friday, I'll have to start off with a joke. You were talking about the whole trans issue and all that. Yeah. There's uh, someone was sitting down for a job interview, and the supervisor's reading over the application and says, hey, I see here for your pronouns, you wrote down they, them, and I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Well, they get all up in a fit. That's sexual discrimination. You can't do that. Oh, no, no, no. We don't have a problem with that. We only have one position open. We're only hiring one person. (laughs) There you go. That's right. That's right. So, um, I've only got a few minutes here. I'm pulling in my customer again. Customer? Uh, this time on Fridays. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The people that pay the bills. Oh, yeah, those people. (laughs) That's funny. Um, the load tender rejection. I, my understanding of that is the opposite of the way you explained it. I thought it meant that is like a large carrier on contract freight that you know, let's just say they got a hundred loads a week. They're supposed to haul for this customer. Well, anything over 100 loads, they can reject and not affect their contract. And that's when freight rates were high, they were rejecting them because they could get a spot market load for higher than the contract rate. Correct. Now they're not rejecting them because they want every load they can take. That is correct. And I thought that's what I said, but I say every time I say it, I think I'm confusing people more. I'm going to go check... I'm going to go dig around freight waves and see if they have a good definition of this. I bet they do somewhere. I'm going to work on that because I I need a better way of explaining this because I think we're going to be talking about it a lot. Uh, Just posted again, by the way, that it actually dropped below 3%. First time ever. It's down to 2.98%. Wow. Yeah. And then the big carriers failing. Well, U.S. Express was just bought out by Swift Knight or merged or however they worded it. But for what, and I didn't read a lot of details on this, but I thought I'd seen U.S. Express has been in trouble for years. They've been struggling. You know, here's the interesting tie-in here. I've been talking about Freight Waves, and Freight Waves is a fairly new company. I mean, they were just formed not that long ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, and they've become really, really big in the industry. They've become kind of like a media data uh, company. They're tied into a lot of different things. The person who started Freight Waves, Craig Fuller, is the son of the founder of U.S. Express. Yep. So Freight Waves and U.S. Express are are very, very closely tied. They're basically owned by the same family. Uh, That one, you know, we won't look at that as a failure, and I'm not sure what their numbers have been because they got bought. And and there are companies that that's a plan. There are companies that go out and do things with their numbers in order to make themselves attractive to be bought. So sometimes that happens. We've, We've got Somebody were getting a lot of noise in the background again, a lot of people talking, and um, I have no control over it on my end because I'd mute everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, 
straight waves is, is bringing us a lot of data that we never used to have access to. That, that's why we're talking about some of these numbers that we don't even really understand completely. We don't have the right definition for them. This is a lot of new data, but it's interesting data. And it, it's, it's unfortunately right now, I, every day I get a little more worried. I've been the one saying this is going to be bad. I'm not even sure if I had it right. I think it may be worse than even what I was thinking. I hope not. I hope if, if it is that bad, it's short at least. Uh, but I, I'm, I, 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 you know, I try to be as optimistic as I can. I'm having a hard time right now. The only thing I am optimistic about is that if you've done all the right things, you're going to be fine. But there just aren't that many people in the industry that are doing the right things. I'm just wondering how many we're going to lose. And I have to be honest, I'm worried about my own business. And everybody in business should be. I don't know that there are going to be many safe places in this economy. I mean, I sell things to truck drivers. If truck drivers start losing money or not making as much as they used to, at some point, uh, rain octane doesn't become a necessity anymore. You stop buying those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And and I have to be aware of that. I have to make sure we can make it through this. And, you know, this is why I haven't really been calling or posting. I don't want to brag. And that's all this statement is going to sound like. (laughs) Thank God I have, you know, 25 years in business. I've done, you know, a lot. I've been following you since you've been on the air. Well, shortly after you started on the air, 2008. Yeah. And in all honesty, if it really crashes, I could go home and park it for a year and care less. Right. Wait for it to bounce back and start back up again. Honestly, that, that is what we would talk about in this industry as the 1%. Not even sure if there is 1% of the owner operators that could sit out for a year. Yeah. Well, I mean, society in any industry, there. Oh, you're right. Very few people that exactly could not work yeah. for a year. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but it's going to keep people focused on reality. And the re- reality right now is stuff is coming down fast and furious, and it's not good news. So the main reason for my call, though, and if Henry is busy with background noise, but uh, I was going to bring this up last week. We were talking about um, all different fuel engine types, you know, between electric and hydrogen and different stuff. And I'm very old school on a lot of things. And I think Henry's right. He's posted different articles about this. I think we should go back to external combustion engines. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I have it all figured out for a fuel source. I want to run it on kernels of corn, which will make Kevin happy because it'll get rid of the corn and, you know, the <laughs> corn right. pellet stoves burn pretty. So I can have my corn pellet powered steam truck. What do you think? Well, and that's the there you go. beautiful thing about external combustion is you know, in steam is basically you're making a furnace. All you got to do is create heat at a, oh, you can have a wide range of fuels all run through the same engine. I mean, obviously all liquid, you can burn it, wait, and then there's soft, 
you know, or a solid fuel, or there's a lot more options. Uh, you saw uh, when Union Union Pacific tried to do this back in what the '60s, where they were gonna, you know, they tried to run one on coal dust and something else. It didn't work all that well. <laughs> they were, it was nowhere near as efficient as a diesel, but they tried it. Well, about Joel, how about we could have a nuclear powered truck creating this? Hey, now now we're talking. Now we're talking. Let's do a nuclear powered version. Well, get one of these mini mini reactors, and <laughs> but it doesn't really work because what could go wrong? Nuclear is large scale and it's twenty four seven. So, oh, they they got some know, of these small nuclear reactors now. We could, you know, so who cares if you get in a car wreck and plunge into a river? Or <laughs> doesn't make any difference, right? <laughs> this would be a trip for team operations. I, <laughs> I want to go back and see if I can find an article I read when I was like 12 or 13 years old. It was either in, probably in popular mechanics. It was either in popular mechanics or popular science. I used to get both. Probably popular science now that I think about it. There, I remember an article. I want to go see if I could find this where they were predicting that we were going to have a lot of cordless handheld devices that didn't need to be plugged in that were kind of there today, mm-hmm. but they had a much, much different take on how we were going to do it. I don't know if I dreamed this now that I'm about to say it, it sounds so bizarre. I'm wondering if this was even right. <laughs> I want to go back and look at this. I swear I could remember an article where they were talking about, we were going to power these things with tiny little jet engines. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. How, how weird is that? I don't know. I don't know. I need to go back. Maybe I just the person that. Be careful yeah. with that. <laughs> the burner kicks in. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah, be careful holding your phone up to your ear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I enough they start on fire now when they're plugged in. I know. Electricity. I know. <laughs> if they have any thoughts, yeah. Yeah, just it would probably that. be bad to it would probably be bad to fuel your car holding a turbine powered phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might not be a good idea. <laughs> Something uh, could go wrong. Yeah. Well, okay. but, you know, that's funny. Anybody have anything well, else? Yeah, the, uh, yeah. I mean, go ahead, Matt. I'll just let everybody know we're what? we're on our last call. When we wrap this one up, we'll have some final thoughts. Uh, if you want to jump in, do it now. Go ahead, Matt. Well, well, yeah, I mean, for next the external week. combustion engine even has emission benefits because you can do a controlled flame versus an internal combustion engine changing RPM and all that all the time. You There are advantages, like I say, oh. emission-wise and all that, but... It's I, not going to happen. I realize that. I just thought of something I've been saving for this show all week. I read it earlier in the week, and I don't know why it's not in my notes, but I just thought of it. Uh, old, I, a lot of you guys are very familiar with NACFI. You've worked with them. I've worked with them from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Roth's a great guy. They act, Mike just put out a report, and he is making the claim that the future for alternative fuel trucks, he believes, is going to be hydrogen electric. I, a, a lot of guys at, at Volvo back at home base in Sweden, that they're also of that opinion. Um, they're working on some things that are 
kind of mind blowing. It really can't throw out there yet, but there's, uh, he's probably will be at some point. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon though. I think for long haul transport, I think that's the way it's going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Hydrogen electric and not, not an internal combustion. Um, they're, they're working on some pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, and I always say I don't like to make predictions because I hate being wrong. And I've made the prediction. I don't see why hydrogen is going to be a part of this. But obviously, I'm missing something because a lot of people are now starting oh, to say. Henry, isn't um, Daimler and, and Volvo collaborating on some of these projects? Yeah, absolutely they are. Yeah, the hydrogen fuel cell. But, you know, I yeah. just have to think. Our, our previous conversation and why can't I use hydrogen in my external combustion truck? <laughs> there, you <go. laughs> there you go. You know, you go. people don't realize we're already using hydrogen. Well, yeah. Here's a company you can actually look up, Kevin. Plug Power. They make oh, yeah. hydrogen yep. Yep. for forklifts. Right. I have. Yeah. So, uh, it's so clip, I, put hydrogen in and it's electric. Right. Yep. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's you know I I uh, I think NACV is a, a really good organization. I think it's been put together well. I think it's been run well. I think they've done a, a lot of good for the industry. And uh, like I said, if that's their take. I'll I'll look at this issue. Yeah. If if hydrogen electric is coming, I want to know more about hydrogen electric. And yeah, Kevin. Mm-hmm. On a closing thought, you got that article I sent you. Let's talk about that next week on tire emissions. I thought that was kind of an interesting article. <laughs> Where did, did you send that to me on text? It, today, right before the call, about a half an hour before the I, call. There it is. I thought so. I remember. There's a lot going on on the show. I'm flipping back and forth from websites. I'm reading things. I'm talking and point today i thought i could have swore i saw a headline about tire wear emissions where the hell was that (laughs) (laughs) and i've been looking all over and i can't find it now i got it you texted it to me so then just different articles on it and it turns out that today's tires put out more emissions than the engine that's powering them well let me read this because i like i said i i scroll headlines and this headline if i would have seen it somewhere certainly would have caught my attention Here's the headline, gaining traction, losing tread pollution from tire wear, now 1,850 times worse than exhaust emissions. What? You've got to be kidding so, me. <laughs> and now there's, there's something here to be aware of. So my father, he had a tire recycling business for the longest time, and catchphrase was always polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons as oh, yeah. tire would wear. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. So there is a, a lot a lot of this <laughs> a lot of this is coming off the tire. There's there's no doubt about it. But the difference between exhaust and tire wear is these are heavy enough where they just fall to the ground. They don't present a huge challenge like exhaust that goes up in the air and the particles are big enough where we're not breathing them in. So it's, it's not the problem that exhaust is, but it is absolutely there. They've known about it for decades. It's never been regulated because it doesn't create a huge 
health hazard like diesel emissions do. But when we were grinding up tires and, and doing certain things with tires when we were pulling them apart, you always had to be aware of that polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbon deal. So uh, it's a real thing, believe it or not. It is definitely a real thing. It's just not the hazard that the smaller particles and exhaust emissions are. You know what I wonder, though? Oh, go ahead, Henry. They, they claimed about it getting into the waterways and then are fishing it and then we're eating these, whatever that term was you used for a hydrocarbon. Yep, 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 yep. That was, that was a concern. Uh, in fact, one of the operations that my dad ran, we were right up against a tributary to a river and, and they would conduct water tests constantly. And we never saw that type of contamination as they would pull water samples. They thought it was heavy enough where it would, you know, it would almost instantly fall to the ground and, and you know, they're measuring in parts per trillion or whatever they were looking for and, and it never really got out of hand. But that definitely there, just not the hazard. I, I don't think that, uh, I know it's not the hazard that right. the emissions okay. present in I'd be shocked if somebody really picked this up and started pushing it hard. Well, I want to address that. Here's what concerns me a little bit. Like you said, this has been around forever. Nobody makes a big deal out of it because it's not really all that dangerous. We know it exists. It happens. Sure, there's some downsides. My fear now is this administration is so hyper-focused on these kind of issues that they just might pick it up. Hey, you know, you forever in a day, too, and one day that's not taken on, right? Say that again. Yeah, I know. That's if there's a... Lead used to be in the gasoline for a long, long time forever. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, just because it's because it's Friday, uh, I have some words of wisdom from Elon Musk. You ready? I mean, Elon <laughs> okay. Musk has got his, his finger on all of the really important issues of the world, right? I mean, come on. The guy builds more electric cars mm-hmm. than anybody. He figured out how to build electric cars and make money doing it. He should be the hero of the left, but they hate him now because of Twitter. He's got a strange (laughs) sense of humor. He really does. Listen to what he just posted. Don't fall asleep on the floor with long hair and a Roomba. Yeah, that could be a problem. And now all I can picture is some woman running through the house screaming with a Roomba trying to eat her scalp. Gosh, that's <laughs> the kind of advice we. Hey, Kevin, real, real, yeah, go ahead. Real quick before we close out, and and I know Henry had a really good show down at Matt's, and we were just standing room only the entire time we were at, and I, and I can't count the number of people that I was talking to, and the one thing that I noticed, and I don't know if if Henry sort of picked up on the same thing. I had multiple discussions with the old school truckers that in the past they would look at a Volvo and giggle and just keep on walking. And it's just shocking the number of these guys that were very, very interested and, and actually wanted to learn more and took the time to listen and, and went through everything where before, you know, it was always just kind of giggle with the Volvo or it's aerodynamic or it's a plastic, it's you know, a plastic you know, the, truck, right? It's a plastic truck. Where, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was shocking the amount of traffic that he had uh, and the, the number, the diversity of the crowd that came through, you know, you 
the people that are really into fuel mileage to show up, but the right. number of guys that, you know, bull haulers and uh, the large car guys that, you know, they weren't giggling and they weren't laughing about it. So they, that that was they, pretty cool to see. It is. They're smart That's enough the to stay writing on the whole. I thought, Joel. The show in general, the negative Nellies weren't there this year. And, you know, we had Clark's truck in our booth with, you know, no mirrors in the camera mm-hmm. system. And, and I mean, you had some, well, I would, then when they got to looking at it, well, they were, oh, you know, and they came around. There wasn't that many. It wasn't like years ago where everybody came. You're like, why are you even in my booth? You know what I'm saying? Right. But yeah, all they, yeah, they, they were just starting to argue with you or fight with you. wanted to argue, yeah. right. Yeah. Hey, since you brought this up. Very it, positive show. It may seem a little premature, but it's really not. I want to start talking about America for next year. We skipped this year and we had talked with, you know, Toby Young and show management and it was a hard decision. We really didn't want to skip this year, but we decided it was better. And we we've already started focusing on next year with them. We're already in talks. Uh, do some sort of an event in conjunction with the truck show, not not just like a seminar for a couple hours or something, but a, a, and uh, I hesitate to even throw this out, but I will because we talk about stuff as we're doing it. Uh, even something along the lines of possibly a CMC-like event, you know, a good-sized, significant event. And I'm saying that because sure. I, I would want you guys to be a part of it. So just keep that in mind. I know you guys are active in a lot of different things, and your schedule at shows will fill up quick, but keep that in mind. There's there's probably a really good chance I will want to talk to you guys about being a part of it. Sure. Sure, sounds that good. Sounds great, Kevin. Yeah, so like I said, we're, we're already talking to him. He, he said as soon as they get through the, the, you know, closing out this year's show and all the stuff that has to happen, uh, we want to start planning this event next year. So, um, it's all up in the air. Anything's possible right now. Uh, just talking about it, but I just want to let you guys know. Uh, I'd like to to have you there. I think we could do some pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. All right. Good. All right. No new calls came in. Matt, you're still here with us. Anybody have anything left, or is it time to shut this down for the week? I don't have anything because. I gotta open my doors and back up to a dock. So there you go. All right, <laughs> we uh, we're gonna wrap this up then. I will see you next week. Have a great weekend, Henry, Joel, all the callers today. Thanks as always. Great stuff. We'll see you on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.